foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Welcome to LWAFLML. Carl. Yes, LWAFLML. O T Y T L W A F L M O Y T. Welcome to L W A concerning cough during a pandemic. F L M O Y T. <laughs> Better known as Let's Watch a Full Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Sorry, I, I coughed a little. Yeah, Hi, I know. Carl. I just caught a computer virus. Thanks. It's COVID twenty one. You got the cookie monster virus. COVID-21. Oh, yes. Okay. God bless. I'm in talks with Michael Bay to make that movie. Welcome to the show. So look at the movies. We are called Let's Watch a Full Night Movie on YouTube, but we go by the acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. We'd love for you to follow our Twitter account. Be one of the 30 that does. And then we have a great YouTube channel uh, curated by Carl. It's L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. And we're also on YouTube as Let's Watch uh, on Facebook. So let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Spiegelman and Carl. We also stream first on MutinyRadio.fm, uh, which we really love. And we would yeah. love for you guys to go ahead and donate. Go to Venmo and go donate some money to the radio station at Mutiny Radio. And uh, that would help us out considerably. But we are on every Sunday afternoon, 5 p.m. Eastern, so you can hear our show first. What we do is we play, we talk over a movie and you watch the movie on YouTube and listen to the podcast and we've been doing this for about four or five years yeah. have over 400 episodes all available on mutinyradio.fm in the art podcast archives just look for an acronym with a concerning cough in it <laughs> and then you'll see a list we actually have a list we did this last year you know we have done every week movie a couple of weeks we skipped a couple of weeks we did not and uh, we uh, want to just take a year review uh, the way our show works is that I've always read about these movies uh, growing up, but you never had an opportunity to see these weird movies. And now they're all on YouTube, so we get to see it. So unlike other movie shows, we just talk over the movie, which is like <laughs> other shows. So, uh, but Carl does a lot of research on these movies, and he has a lot of information about it. And uh, a lot of the hard work is through Carl to make this happen. Anyway, we have a lot of movies this year. Carl, do you have any films that just stand out this year? Any, anything that noticeable about the films we watch? There are many films that stand out, but there's too many for me to make a top ten list, so I just sort of did them all. Well, 
you know what we could do is we started off the year with one of our most pop winds up being one of our most popular videos on YouTube. Yeah. It's the 1984 film. They're playing with fire. Right. It's an entire sentence for a movie title. Uh, and that had... Uh, 28.7 thousand uh, views. Also, our synced up podcast with the movie. So, uh, that's a, it's a great film. I really like that. Sybil Danning and yeah. uh, some terrible kid uh, run amok in their, yeah, uh, their husband's Brown boat. Is- it was a terrible kid, and they didn't have any chemistry. You know, they didn't uh, they, they they didn't like each other off screen, and you, it really showed. Yeah, I agree with you. She really seemed like she was ready to make a movie, and he was not into it. No. Uh, one of our favorite. So that's you can find us. These movies are not listed with the titles. So when you do go to miniradio.fm, uh, uh, and then go to podcast archives, and go to LWF, our, our thing. Uh, you will see that they're just by dates. So this is just considered a guide. So we just mentioned January 5th. January 12th, we did a movie directed by Larry Hagman, Beware the Blob. Beware the Blob. That was all Hagman. 1972 Hagman, so he was in between uh, television epics. That's the only movie he ever directed, and basically it was a bunch of his neighbors, like Murgis Meredith, Meredith, Yeah, but Del Close, the godfather of improv. Do you you remember the comedian who passed away who was on it? Chester Haggis. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, uh, it's, 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 it was good. I like, it was kind of a parody of a kind of comedy, like improv comedy about horror movies. Well, I mean, it was the blob. I mean, it was a legit movie with plot and everything and main characters. It was just a lot of fun. Do you remember Shirley was in it? She was the hippie Cindy Williams. Yes, heavy Cindy Williams is in it. She was great. Not the first time we've seen a movie with her. Right. Uh, she was in Ghasts. Right. Uh, the right. Roger Corbin. Well, so we right. recommend Beware the Blob, and that is January 12th. All right. January 19th, we did Lost Angels, starring that BC boy who acted in the movie Lost Angels from 1989. Adam Horowitz. Adam Horowitz, yes. Uh, and... He was like a, a rich kid, or was he just like a good kid? He was like a, a upper middle class. But do do you remember why we did that movie, Mike? Yes, I do. Uh, the BC Boys had written the memoirs. Yeah, I remember like BC Book and Adam Horowitz says, "Whatever you do, do not watch this movie. I'm embarrassed by <laughs> and it." So you said we must immediately. Watch this movie, absolutely. So I fell for it, and we watched it. And you know, I actually agree with Adam Horowitz. No, it's it's fine. Yeah. I remember the movie when it came out. Paulie Shore was in it. Paulie Shore was in the institution. He was kid number three. Yeah, and that that helped launch his career. So we we appreciate you, Adam Horowitz. Okay, one last thing. Let me just say about this film. It, the director went on to be a for real director. I mean, he did Chariots of Fire and Grace Stoke you know, Lord of Apes, Tarzan movie, essentially. And also, Donald Sutherland was in it, but he's no slouch, even then. Well, he, he's a prolific actor, to put it mildly. He'll, he's in everything, so it didn't surprise me. But, yeah, he, he held it. You know, one of the nice things that happened in 2020 was that the public domain laws were re- uh, finally reinstated what? after 20-year hiatus. Right. And movies went into the public domain. And one of the nice things we can do every January is to take a new movie 
that is in the public domain and watch it in <laughs> peace. So we exploited that on January 26th, if you're going down our list on the archive. And it was a movie called Peter Pan from 1924. And it's funny, Pan's from the lusty god of music, and that's not what Peter Pan is. No. Well, this, this was, like, I guess based really on the book or the play, I guess. On the book, yeah. It was a – I'm not – I think it was a book first, but certainly it, the movie was the play, at least the interstitials. They tried to capture the play on film. It was slightly different. There was that animal guy. Do you remember him? Yeah, I do. And, and we think he was also the crocodile. And um, one thing that was peculiar is in the U.S. version, they raised the American flag, you know, stars and stripes. But in the British version, they're raising the Union Jack. Oh, wow. Well, that's uh... – I don't know. I, I think Peter Pan's playing it both ways. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah, I think he's, so. He's got some, some scheme going on. He's like, the, the world war, I know which side I'm going to ally with. Well, that was good. That? It was a, it was a silent that? movie, but... Oh, yeah, it was a silent movie, and that really upset me because if it's in the public domain, that means we can play the audio. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, no, but the movie is in the public domain, but the music version might be different rights. Uh-huh. I see. That's right. I think you would still... mentioned that in the episode. All right. Well, that was a controversial moment during Peter Pan. That's We're right. now in February. February 9th, we did Furry Vengeance from nineteen yeah. from 2010, which is, of course, Brendan Fraser versus a raccoon. Yeah. The, the movie that killed Brendan Fraser's career. Well, you know, he, he had an interview and he revealed a lot of stuff about his life. But, yeah, I think I do agree. For well, he admits he's ashamed of this film. I mean, I am being a jerk to him, but he admits he's ashamed of this film. I don't know. Well, the director was for real. He did Cruel Intentions and The Sweetest Thing. And but all I remember is this, here is Brendan Fraser, one of the biggest international movie stars in right. the last two decades, finding a raccoon squirrel puppet. Like on the floor, like pretending he's a real thing, and like giving it his all. Like there's nothing really wrong did. with the performance except that I was asked to do it. Yeah. He used to be in great shape, you know. He did the action movies, but he eased up on this demanding physical rec uh, regimen for this movie. He thought it would be funny to, you know, be the dad, right, with the muffin. Right. Okay. Look, the best thing about this film, Billy Bush. Billy Bush is in it. Yeah, well, so Billy Bush from the this, from the Donald Trump tape Access right, Hollywood. Yes, yeah. he's really from the Bush family, and he was on Access Hollywood, the the Trump controversy. So there you go. There's our. Uh, but look, uh, we gotta Star make Trek a shout out to these comedians, Mike. I think we forgot. Remember Jim Norton was in it. Yeah, Jim Norton. That's right. I remember it was kind of the Jim Norton crew in there. It was and cool. Patrice yeah. O'Neill, who had some sort of tragic story, right? He died early. Yeah, so that's right. All right, so producer Neil. So you had a bunch of good comics. So would you recommend Furry Vengeance? We Ron saw it on Riggle. Um, what was it? Ron Riggle, that, that's a comedian who became an actor. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's fun. Uh, you're right about that scene. It's clear he's, it's a puppet. But other, I don't know, it entertains. <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining. It shouldn't have killed his career. That's too rough. It's not that. Yeah. On February 16th, we watched Wildflowers from 1999. Yeah. A movie from 1999, Carl, yeah. the best year ever. Yeah, remember our joke about Roadrunner? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is a film that's shot in the Bay Area, which is as separable as our show is. I, if it's from the Bay Area, I'd like to see mm-hmm. it. And it's out of Sausalito. Uh, and there's these boats. You know, wouldn't it be cool to live in a boathouse, Carl? Right. Yeah. It was. It, it really is. lived there, and it was great. It was Claire, uh, Clea Duvall. Yeah, well, here's a film where I think it was Daryl Hannah was a, a yeah. woman who was a hippie. The mom. And, uh, she was the mom. She was she not was the, mom. the mom. Well, so the, the girl, uh, the teenager, comes of age and comes meets her real mom, who's a hippie. Yes. And when she, she tells Daryl, she goes, Daryl, I'm your daughter. And Daryl says, beep, beep. That was, that was, a, that was a funny joke at that episode right there. But it was a good movie. I like that oh, one. It was so great. Excellent scene, which they were in the wilderness in that abandoned house, right? It was or like a lean to or something. And yeah, she goes, You're my mom. And she goes, Shoom! Beep beep! <laughs> oh, <laughs> runner! <laughs> if she can't choose you, your mom. You're my mom. Blues Travelers was in there. Yeah, it was good. It was a good cast. And Eric Roberts. I don't know. It was all. Yeah, yeah, Eric Roberts, right before he kind of. He's in a lot of stuff. Like, uh, ring, I'll take it. Hello, I'll take it. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought maybe it would be someone who's off. Yeah. No, hi, Mom. Hi. I love this. You reached Eric Roberts. I'll take the role. Hello, your vehicle. This is a vehicle notification uh, call. Sounds great. I'll be there on Monday. All right, Eric so. Eric Roberts style. Four, four, four. Four, 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 four. He gives a sincere. He's, he gives a really good performance in that. Yeah, I'll, he I'll does. It. It's, he it's a good movie. It's worth looking out. I we still have a popcorn film channel, I believe. Our next film is Oh, yeah, that's right. There was a North Beach Cafe that she was in. I'm not sure. I just know it was Green County. Oh, right. Yeah, and she had a yeah. great house. It was like there was a courtyard in the back. Yeah, no, it's beautiful up there. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was, you get to see it. A lot of hippies, you know, mm-hmm. out there, so. Older, older hippies. So it was good. It was a solid movie. Not as good as The Matrix from that year, but you know. Right. Not as good as The Matrix. Our Never show good the Matrix. Uh, on February 23rd, we watched Bugsy Malone from 1976. Fun film. Fun film. All the What's little that? kids under 17 years old, every single cast member, including Jodie Foster, Scott Bayo, and Dexter Fletcher. Yes. Who we know from. The mon- Mad Monkey. What is it? Uh, desperate. Oh, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> what is twisted that? Obsession. Yeah, Twisted Obsession. Twisted Obsession. Which was in England called The Mad Monkey, and in Spain was called El Sueño de Lo- Moco, uh, Mono Loco. So, a lot of history to that movie. So, I Dexter Fletcher. Uh, a director, yeah. Yeah, Rocket Man, fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And he took over from Ryan Singer, as it were. In Bohemian uh, Rhapsody. He also did Bohemian Eddie Rhapsody. the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle was a fun film. Uh, it was 2015. Uh, it's a little unrealistic, that film, but he did a good job. So he went on to – he is something interesting. But there also the music of Paul Williams was in it, and they did the adults instead of king, kids as singers. Yeah. Well, you know, they have uh, – they reenact gangsters, the, the whole the film war of gangsters. And they sing as a musical as part of yeah. film work. They're also kids. So instead of gunfire, there's uh, pie fights. Right. And it's directed by Alan Parker, who did Pink Floyd The Wall, of course. 
and it's just as stylized and Avita and and it's just, and it's just as great as those films, even yeah. though it's hard to get over the fact they're kids. He was uh, ashamed of this film for years, and it wasn't in his memoirs. And it was like when he was in his like eighty late eighties that he finally said, "You know, this film is fun." Do you remember the pedal cars? Yeah, right. That's how they got around, like the Flintstones. And you already mentioned the splurge guns. That was a lot of fun. And the songs were fun. You know, it was it was good. It was Scott Bale made out with Jodie Foster behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, you know, if you go to his Twitter account, he lists uh, Bugsy Malone as one of his films. He should. It yeah. was his first. You know, he didn't even want to do it. He was sick of going into Manhattan. It was his parents. He wasn't a big famous guy. And they... You know, he went in, he read the thing, and he slammed it down and left. And and the director was like that. Alan Park was like, "This guy's for me." Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And he did. He holds it together. And then he became Chachi. So it's definitely uh, Chachi. Yeah. Yeah. One, it's one last thing. To. Do you remember yeah. that actor who played the tough guy? Remember? He yeah. Was a kid from Brooklyn, he was an unknown. This. This Alan Parker went to all these schools and said, who's the worst kid in this class? And they went, you know, they pointed at him. He, I don't know. He just fell into the role and he did it perfect. Our next film was actually, we, uh, you, uh, as you know, the pandemic. Carl flew over uh, to San Francisco to Mini right. Radio Studios. Uh, we were part of the fifth annual Mini Radio yeah. Comedy Festival. And we were very excited because we had multiple shows uh, one uh, with live audience as well, and uh, so on the July. So that aired uh, live. Uh, was that the one where? Uh, no. So yeah, was this the one with Dante's Inferno and um, the Tarantino film? Right. So we watched Dante's Inferno, another uh, movie from my best friend's birthday. Yeah. Which was pretty good. For, you know, it was a bridge version, to be honest with you. It wasn't, you know, they couldn't fit everything in, the, in that 25 minutes. And well, then we watched. It was like burnt in a fire. There's only 36 minutes that remain of it. But the burnt in a fire might be a myth as well. Well, that's true. Maybe they covered the other two books. Uh, but well, they can burned I just say, I really enjoyed going out to San Francisco. This was two weeks before lockdown. We didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was coming. No. And you were very hospitable. We did a lot of edge of insanity appearances together. Um, we did that show where we did clips about San Francisco. And Absolutely. Playlist on Luggish Tuesdays. We did the rats are coming. The werewolves are here. We had a lot of fun that visit. It was like a week and a day or something. It was good. Oh, Absolutely. So I, I would say, like, if you want to check it out, uh, listen to our March 1st episode. And, Carl, it was great to have you in San Francisco. And, I, and absolutely, we did some sketch, uh, some stand-up shows as well. Yeah. Uh, if you check out later in the month on March 22nd, the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. We had comedians from the festival join us. Yeah. Uh, so you can go ahead and listen to that. And then uh, just look, rounding off uh, March 8th, we did Ape from 1975, six. Carl, fill me in. My, my head's full of holes. Ape, okay, the reason is Ape was unremarkable. Ape was attempting to be a ripoff of King Kong. It was 19, uh, of, in 1976. It was a South Korean-American venture, but it had 3D effects. That was oh. like a hook. And, the you know, it did Ape with the mash asterisks in between it. Um, they got sued. Right away, right away, and they had to change the name. It was going to be called The New King Kong, 
Uh, and it was a $1.5 million lawsuit. And these guys just threw up their hands and said, okay, we're changing them. All right, no problem. Yeah. They named yeah, it Super Ape. Super Ape. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, there's that's, that's the reason why I have no idea. Our movie on March 15th was Swap Meat, the delightful yeah. film from 1979. Swap Meat! Uh, it's kind of unremarkable, but it was, I don't know, it was nice to see Danny DeVito at the age of Taxi and uh, Rhea Perlman, um, you know, back in the day. But my favorite part of this film was it starred not Bud Court. Your favorite character actor who looks a lot like character actor Bud Court, but yeah. he's not Bud Danny Court. Goldman is his name. Well, Danny Goldman was memorable in it. It was basically, it would be great now during the pandemic to go to a drive-in movie house that we open up, park your car, and watch Swap Me, which takes place in the 70s in a drive-in movie house, where during the day, the drive-in movie theater, the parking lot, becomes a swap meet. Yes. Where people sell their stuff. And it was the adventure. It was pretty solid. I, I liked the movie. It had a memory. John Gryers was in it. Scott Pryors? Uh, John Gryers, who you like from uh, Joysticks. He was King Vidyot in Joysticks. Oh, that's right. Sure. And from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. That guy's great. Uncle Rico. Yeah, Uncle Rico. Yeah, he was very funny in that and swap me. Uh, as we mentioned, March 22nd was The Rats Are Coming. The Werewolves Are Here. A low-budget yeah. film directed by a low-budget cult director whose name Andy I don't know by this. Andy Milligan. Andy Milligan. This was 1969. He was in this old England and in this house, and he's like such an opportunity. He filmed four films there, and he filmed them simultaneously. God, yeah. So it made, and then he edited together. The only thing I remember about this film, besides having uh, some great comics with us, yeah. was that there was one girl who was stabbing a, a rat with a knife, and yeah. she was really stabbing. Yeah. She was playing with it, like like I'm gonna see how close that I can yeah. hit. But she and hit she the, the rat a couple. That's right. So that's it. That's what you can see. It's on YouTube as well. Uh, on March 29th, our last movie was National Lampoon's Robo Doc. That was fun. 2008. National Lampoon, like you said, it was written by two doctors. Two real medical doctors wrote the uh, story. It's it's a Robo Doc who walks around some hospital and much to the chagrin. That was our Star Trek connection. He pretends he's data. What Michael Winslow shows up in the first three minutes, doesn't do a sound effect. He does one when he quits the, right. the hospital, right. and he goes, beep, beep, blurp, I'm out of here. Yeah, and right. That's it. That's it. And then he gets top billing. That All right. Well, what about Alan Thicke, then? Uh, Alan Thicke and... Uh, yeah, it was all right. You know, he, he, God bless him, rest in peace. I don't think it was when he died. It was, but he just, I don't know, they hired Eric Roberts' phone must have been down that day. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they did manage to get the kid from uh, uh, Married with Children David and his Costa, wife. Yeah. And his wife. His then wife. His then wife is one of the nurses in this film. I enjoyed that film. I recommend it. It was stupid. Well, it was like his his doc, his robo doc abilities is seducing nurses, <laughs> which we see in first person. Oh, robo doc! That perfume you're wearing—it's enticing. He looked me. like the brother. No, he died. Uh, the brother died, and so like he made robo doc to sort of be in the image of his brother, like as an homage. And then the old girlfriend showed up, the fiance, who's you know that's why there was an attraction. Okay. National Lampoon's name is also on National Lampoon's Replicate. We watched very, that on April 5th. Very uh, good film. 
from 2002, more of a standard National Lampoon movie. It's about these college kids, and they just can't get a woman. And wouldn't it just be great if they just built a woman? So, <laughs> weird science, they build a replicate named right. Kate. A replicate. Replicate. And they replicated she, her. They replicated her. They replicate her. And there's shenanigans in the collegiate lab. and But more importantly, she learns to become a dude. And at the end of the well, film, yeah, that was yeah. the whole plot. They they say, okay, we're raising a child here, so let's raise her to like sex and drink beer and be into sports and all the uh, like uh, heterosexual jock things. So they get exactly what they deserve. Now look, if she's a beauty pageant title holder, this actress, she was beautiful. She won yeah. Miss USA. She's with, with George Bush, and the first lady saw her movie and asked her to saw this movie and so she was sitting next to them in the state of union you know she was sitting by the mom all right well there yeah and uh she's she's funny in the movie i mean she definitely holds it together but yeah it's kind of like a no wait what about eugene levy it was great this movie right so he uh he was like a mayor or something like that he didn't have a twin he was the head of the lab Right. And so right. they were his grad students working under him with the cloning machine, you know. So he was, where's my report? The president's going to, this thing better work. You're going to work all night. He did that. But remember, he got replicated himself. And he, all he, they taught him how to say is, get out of here. It was very funny. This was a good film. Or four days because he learned what to do, but but the clone doesn't know anything, so all he knows is how to say get out of here. <laughs> That's all right, it's funny. <laughs> so now, now we're gonna get Eugene Levy comedy, just act stupid. Okay, wait. Well, that's replicate. Yeah, it ends with her like kind of being a toxic dude to the dudes, and they they have to stay at home while she drinks beer. Okay, so uh, on April twelfth, we watched from nineteen twenty-five, I believe, another public domain movie, The Salvation Hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, this was not a public domain movie. This was uh, Joseph von Sternberg's artistic film that helped launch his career. About a bunch of uh, existential ne'er do wells by the river docks. Right, right. Do you remember he put the Vaughn in the middle of his name just to sound cool, to sound European? Right, because he was Joseph Sternberg. And I had, I had watched the three of his films were a part of a box set, one of the few times I went to the library before shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I watched the collection and I actually held on to it during quarantine. And uh, this film was always mentioned. As like this was how he he got attention and stuff like that. And well, played he and, flipped it into Charlie Chaplin's home. He made it as if it had been a delivery. <laughs> and Charlie Chaplin was like, "Oh, well, you know, I can't do Chaplin. He's what the hell is this?" And he he reeled it. See, when Salvation Hunters came out, it, it bombed. It it just completely bombed. Nobody went. The audience was the cast members. Uh. 
So he snuck it into Charlie Chaplin's house, and Charlie Chaplin liked the film. He fell in love with it. April 19th, we watched Kung Fu Mahjong 2. Right. Now, you remember why we saw Kung Fu Mahjong 1 by mistake, remember? Right. I was looking for a different film directed by Johnny Cho, uh, and I gave Carl the wrong link. And we watched a film called Kung Fu Mahjong, which was great. It was a parody yeah, of Kung Fu Hustle. And it had a lot of the Mahjong jokes, which is what I look for in Mahjong movies. And the director went on to make the sequel, two sequels, back to back. Right. And yeah, like, two's this not one, bad. This one came out the same year. In 2005, January, Kung Fu Mahjong came out. And this one came out, I forget what month, but it was also 2005. Yeah. And it's solid. It's a funny movie. Yeah. It's, uh, there, I think, uh, I don't know, you know, I, you should check out a film called Kung Fu Heroes from the early 80s. It's on Netflix now. And it has a lot of Mahjong jokes in it. It's, uh, you can you kind of see, like, how this kind of helped pave the way for Kung Fu Mahjong. I was teasing you that she dies in the end. Like, you thought, I, you know, I was like, it's too bad when she dies. It's tragic. Yeah, you know, I, I fell for it. I did fall for it. Didn't the director of Kung Fu Mahjong 2 also act in it? Uh, yeah, he was the... I think maybe that was Kung Fu Mahjong 1. Oh, okay. The, the head of the mob guy. And his girlfriend was, you know, it wasn't the daughter. It was his girlfriend that he liked. And Okay, that's the wrong year. Yeah. She well, doesn't Carl, die go. in the end. I just want to, I'm going to ruin it for people. Kung Fu Mahjong 2. She doesn't <laughs> die in the end. I, I fell for you. I fell she for did. it back then. On April 26th, if you're looking down our list, 426, we watched On the Right Track from 1981. With the guy, Gary Coleman, who somehow you're tied with the same birth year. Yeah, we were born in the same. stuck on your mind. Yeah. 12 years, years old in this film. Well, it's about a, a homeless kid who's been sleeping in the uh, Chicago train station uh, luggage box because he's so petite, who has this uncanny knack of picking the horses, which become makes him a celebrity and also gets into a heap of trouble. Right. And Nor TV's Norman Fell also shows up. And it was a television director, I believe. Yeah, uh, uh, Lee Phillips, he was a director and an actor, but he earned a Razzie for worst actor. I don't know. He did all right. <laughs> Maureen well, Stapleton. So wait, the, the lead in uh, On the Right Track, the, the, the adult lead, got a Razzie? Gary Coleman got a Razzie for oh, yeah. Worst Actor. That's too bad. I don't think he was That's too bad. Actor. That's a little harsh. Yeah. Well, I think he produced it, too. Oh. It was one of his, so hopefully he made some money off of it back in the day. That went to him, of course. Yeah. The late Gary Coleman. Uh, yeah, it's good. You know what? It's available on YouTube, and if you're a fan of uh, Different Strokes, and if you know who we're talking about, you have an opportunity to watch this theatrical release movie from 1980. Uh, one, it's not very good, but uh, he's funny in it. Yeah. And I have more to say about it, but we're moving on to one of your favorite films of all time. Of all time. On uh, May 3rd, we watched Meatballs 3. And Carl, let me just tell you, here's what I gotta say. It was National Foods, Animal House, and Porky's kind of made this whole genre, this whole industry of these teen sex comedies. But both of those films took place in the 60s. Yeah. It wasn't until Stripes from 79 that kind of was a huge film about present-day teenagers 
awkward about sex and learning about sex and facing it head on and all that garbage. And there was also like a, a I think it's called Lemonade or something like that. I forget, but there was oh. other films like that. But, you know, so Meatballs kind of had this thing. The sequel, which not a lot of people know about and I can't find, had like Phoebe Herman as a bus driver. It had E.T. as a camp member. as a. Oh, as a it had uh, Richard Mulligan as like a general Patton counselor. It was kind of like a hodgepodge. But then Meatballs 3 is like a generic, it's like a ditto of the ditto. It's like, a, you know, a third generation dub of what these movies are about. Which is the a first kid. one that doesn't take place in a summer camp. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a summer job. He's got a summer job. Yeah, because they named the, the full title was Meatballs Three Summer Job. Like I think to differentiate it on yes. the uh, uh, through the markets, but it was Patrick Dempsey who, at the, as a teenager, was in a lot of these weird eighties teenage films, which you know he's moved on, of course. But he goes, he has a summer job working at like some kind of West Palm Springs. I don't know, like some. Well, Florida. it was a bar. It was a bar. But it was a bar in the docks, like in the water, like right. it, was, it was a floating bar. And the guy who ran it was a motorcycle dude, and Me, the dude had a girl, and he can't mess with his girl. This girl right. lives on the top floor of the bar, and the dude throws guys out who try to fool with his girl, and so out of the, out of the roof. Yeah, and all the all the partiers are like, "Yeah, you tell him, Buster." You and know, they like on it. Yeah, it's like spring break every weekend. So he goes to a summer job, but also concurrently. There is a uh, porn star who died and went to heaven, but can't get to the pro- through the pearly gates unless the porn star ghost gets that particular nerd laid during the summer. Right. Roxy, Roxy, played by Sally Kellerman, our Mash connection, who was right. the nerd uh, What's uh, that? Star Trek connection too. Yeah. Oh, do tell. Uh, well, it was called. Uh, uh, it was the pilot episode for Star Trek. She was like the ship's counselor kind of person. And she, um, it was called Where No Man Has Gone Before. And it's uh, she, Sally Kellerman. She's well, there you Star go. Connection. She was a celebrity too. She would always do uh, the paparazzi shots. And she was known for going to Cannes Film Festival and getting her photo taken mm-hmm. there as well. And she she plays it like a 1930s dame, which is strange, but the movie well, she is plays strange. it like Mae West. She thinks Mae West has a sexy voice. Yeah. So it's a strange film. And then Meatballs Poor was actually Ski Academy or something like that. Uh-huh. Corey Feldman and Jack Nance, HBO Chiefs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, that's why I say one of the greatest movies ever made. May 10th, we watched Mr. Billion. Mr. Billion with a B. Yes. I like that film. And uh, it was the star of, like, the biggest movie star in Europe. He did a lot of spaghetti westerns. He was from Italy. And this was supposed to be the big launch for him in the United States. Right. He was paired against uh, Jackie Gleason, who at yeah. the time was still acting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, he had a partner, but the, he, the partner wasn't in this film. But the guy's charming. He, you know, he's kind of a cipher in this film. His, the character's name is, because he's from Italy, he was Guido. Yeah, and that's the thing right. Is, the slur. The slur. They, I get, they didn't mean it as an Italian slur, but that certainly right. is what it is and was then, too. I guess the man's real name was Guido, but it didn't come off very well. 
he he got notified that his uh, uncle or something has died, and he can inherit the Transamerica built the Bank of America building in San Francisco if he drives from Italy to San Francisco. So he flies over to America. Company, the whole company wants to reload. But Jackie Gleason wants to stop it, and so right. they're on the road. He flies to America. He meets a gal. They drive across to San Francisco. Valerie Perrine. Yeah, that's right. Valerie Perrine, who's from uh, Cuckoo's Nest, I believe. Yeah, and Cannonball. Yeah, Cannonball, of course. So it, you know, it has its moments. The, the everyone's charming in it, but uh, it was a film. I don't know. It's a strange little film. Yeah, I like it. Uh, um, Slim Pickens was in it. Remember? Yeah. What is well, it? golly, okay. just the farm. I'd like to move on to the next one, Carlos. Uh, May 17th, we watched. What's that? <laughs> well, okay. Rosebud Beach Hotel. Bosom yeah. Buddies guy. Peter Solari gets a hotel, and it might as well play like a sitcom. It had, I don't know, it was charming. I don't know. I liked it. Well, I, I mean, it, it had this that guy who always plays Dracula, um, Francisco um, you know, Count Dooku from Star Wars, remember? Christopher Lee, right? Right, right, right. And Fran Dresser. Fran Dresser, geez, yeah. Young young 80s Fran Dresser. Uh, definitely worth watching. <laughs> she was good at really um, it. Do you remember the, uh, the pictures that were Duran Duran album covers? You know what I remember? The Bellboys are a comedy duo, right? Yes, and they would just yes. be in their own little world. Right. And they, they talk like, you know, they talk like they were detachable doing sticks. Like, it was like straight vaudevillian, like, yep. like more 80s cocaine type of uh, humor. It was really <laughs> interesting. They had that party in the broom downstairs. Yeah. I don't know. It's worth it. It was a, it was a good film. But we also, don't you remember um, Chuck McCann was in it? Um, yes. And uh, Eddie Deason was in it. He was an alien, remember? Yeah, I, I'm telling you, it was a good movie. Because I think the Rosebud Beach Hotel was that. That was not in California, right? No, it was, it was in Florida. It was Florida. It was the father of Colleen Camp owned it. And he was giving the bachelor party dude, uh, Peter Scolari, a chance to run it and prove himself. Do you remember Monique Gabriel was in that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. It's good. It's solid. So you should check it out. It's amazing. Oh, wait. I know you're going away. So I just got to say the last thing. The lead singer of, um, uh, gosh, what was that band called? Um, the Runaways. You remember Cherry Bomb? Right. It's yeah. Her I'm trying and her to... twin sister. Yeah, that's right. They're in there and they sing the songs, a couple songs in there. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll remember the name. Obviously, our, our listeners know who we're talking about. Uh, Hopscotch, 1980, was our film on May 24th. If you check out that episode on our archives, that's with Walter Matthau. And uh, I, my mom promised me to see that movie, and uh, I did. I, I broke something, and as punishment, I was never allowed to see it. I saw that movie 40 years later, and I'm glad that I never saw it as a kid. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have appreciated it. Yeah, that's right. It really wasn't a movie for a kid. It was a espionage. Um, you can't fire me. I'll be a jerk to you if you do. A film, and I forget how did we just. I I forget how we found it, but 
But nonetheless, it was just a lot of fun. It was produced by that um, childhood friend of Walter Matthau's, and it was based on the novel. It was all right. Mozart was the the soundtrack. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely like take this job and screw it, but it has this geopolitics, uh, political, and very just dry humor to it as he just fucks things up and uh, for, for other people. It, it's definitely worth watching. And it's a great – Julie Christie, right, was in it as well. Yeah, and Glenda Jackson. Glenda and Jackson. Kim. Glenda Jackson is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Also, it changed the movie industry a little bit because they did this direct distribution release to the film. They bypassed traditional methods and just send it to the theaters themselves. Uh, and made the theater owners profit participants, and they signed 154 theaters with advanced payments. Sure, we'll take your money, and distributed it that way. Right. Revolution. Well, there you go. And uh, thus created IFC. Uh, on uh, May 21st, we watched one of the second of the three films I loved from this year. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's 2007 film is on YouTube. We're talking about Death Proof. I, I, I'll be very brief because I wrote a really long dissertation. It's it's part of a – it was theatrically released as Grindhouse, yeah. which had two connecting movies. Uh, first was a Robert Rodriguez film, which I was just watching today, Planet Terror. Oh. Yeah. You know, in, in Planet Terror, there's a scene where in the beginning of the film, the radio says, and this is in memoriam of our own Jungle Julia. So it references uh, Death Proof. And it has characters that show up in Death Proof. I think my biggest complaint is that it's, they should really release what they released in theaters. Both Death Proof and Planet Terror were re-released on video cassette as extended official theatrical versions. And they added scenes in Death Proof that they should have never included. You know, like the the striptease and then the uh, Paul Shoe, the foot-licking Italian Vogue uh, right, right. Heads convenience store. It's a dream within a dream. You dream about these women. They have phone conversations on their text messages with Simon Christensen, and then they get killed, and then we watch it again, and this time they fight better. You know, like, yeah, it's a very okay. strange movie. It's one of the weirder movies I've ever seen. It just uh, it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in a dream. The daughter of Cheryl Ladd was in it, and, and uh, who, Zoe Bell, who was the stunt woman. Right. You know, and that's another weird thing I, w- I would have to say is that she was a stunt woman for Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. I mean, right. it. in Kill Bill, Uma Thurman did her own stunt and got hurt in a car accident. And that was on Quentin Tarantino's request. And then the following movie, he did a film where he took Uma Thurman's stunt woman and put her in distress in a different car situation, just a yeah. car stunt situation. Yeah. It's weird. You know, idea with um, uh, Sean Penn. They were in a hotel together for some reason, I don't know, and they were drinking, and he and uh, Tarantino was like, I w- I'm going to get a Volvo. I'm just afraid of dying in a car crash. It's just stupid. I'm getting a Volvo. And so he said, well, why don't you just get a Hollywood stunt crew, pay them about you know, $1,500, and they'll death proof it for you. They'll soup it up like, you know, like a NASCAR's cage. It's death proof. Death proof. That gave him the idea, a stuntman's car. I don't know the rest of the slasher stuff, but that's what the, you know, Perkill, that was his eureka moment. Yeah. And his well, jukebox was in the film. Wasn't that dumb? 
his jukebox, well, he shows up as himself. Uh, and like he always says these films where you hang out. So this film, you literally hang out with him himself yeah. in his own bar and yeah. his own jukebox, which he meticulously compiled himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a weird movie. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. What about I, the sheriff, the son and the, the father and son sheriff team? Well, that's why you need to see this Grindhouse, because they show up first in Planet Terror. First off, Tarantino has always said, I have two types of movies. One about real people, like in uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, mm -hmm. and then the movies they would like to see, like uh, From Dust to Dawn, where the, the Michael Parks sheriff first appeared. Michael Parks appeared and got killed and blown up and, you know, on a fire uh, by George Clooney in the beginning of From Dust to Dawn. Right. And then Grindhouse, he's he's not only is he alive, but his daughter works as a nurse at a hospital, and his son's also a uh, you know, so and you meet his mom in the first one, and then and then in Death Proof, he shows they show up an hour and fifteen minutes into the film, yeah, and they're at the hospital. This is before the zombies from the first movie show up, and the, the daughter is there with Michael Parks, and Michael Parks has a son, you know, they who works. It's a murder talking about how they suspect it's a murder. But fuck it, this ain't my jurisdiction. But you know, it's weird. It's like his his fantasy character is now in the real world. I don't know. It's, it's a very strange, like... Uh, yeah. It, it would help it if you've seen the first movie and you go, oh, cool, that's the guy from that movie I saw four hours ago. You know they what should I mean? be together. And it also represents what a grindhouse is. You know, one film, the next film, the next film. Right, yeah, absolutely. And also, like, the first film had, like, a lot of war references, which I kind of like because, you know, during the Vietnam War, there was a lot of crappy films. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so you could watch both films back-to-back -back and maybe feel better for yourself. But it's a very strange film, and uh, so I, I definitely want to single that out. So uh, keep going. So that was the end of May. May 31st was yeah. Death Proof. And then on June 7th, we watched Yahoo! Serious and Mr. Accident from 1999. Yeah. Yep, the last film he ever did, the film that killed his career. I loved this film. It was hilarious. He works in the Sydney Opera House as a uh, egg um, uh, delivery. Uh, well, he can see the Opera House. He works in a factory, an egg factory. It's an egg factory. They use the Opera House as an egg factory, and he has <laughs> his own weird apartment where a lot of uh, accidents happen because he is Mr. Accident. Yeah, Mr. Accident. Not yet, my friend. Please, this is an impassioned plea. From Pam Benjamin, director of Mutiny Radio. Let us live past October. You think it's a joke? COVID is decimating all of us. Strange, strange, strange things afoot here on the LMF and OIT. Download it only downloaded. It was a 59-minute podcast. It was only an hour, but it seemed like they were only halfway through. So uh, I'm going to do my best to try to figure out what's going on. Because I was digging what they were saying. I'm like, wait, they're only halfway through. They're only at, can't be over. Except that, oh, I see. It says it's, it was only a 45-minute, 30-second podcast. Hey, guys. I'm going to go look on the internet and try to find the rest of that and uh, listen to some commercials in the interim. And I'll be right back, hopefully, with the second half of Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Without a patter. We'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship 
as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Tebow of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshops, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a show and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, Zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. 
I'm Michael. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Okay, I just downloaded it again, and it's still only 45 minutes. So I'm really sorry. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube, listeners. That's what I was sent this week from the guys, and I don't know what happened to the second half. Maybe they can resend it for next week, or I'm really sorry. So I'm going to play... Um, the one from last week, because it was amazing. It was so good last week. So um, I'm going to play that one now when I can find it here. Um, again, super sorry that this, I don't know what happened with that particular download, but this was the one from last week, and it was amazing. Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-Y-O-T. Yes, welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi. Merry Christmas, Mike. Merry Christmas, L-W-A-F-L-M. By the way, Carl. Merry Christmas. Yo, thank God. I was going to say, it's been nearly 60 seconds, and you haven't yet to wish me a Merry Christmas. Carl, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. No. What does New Year have to do with Christmas? You're, uh, you're not that's talking a good about Christmas. question. You say, yeah. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Christmas. Okay. Sorry, let's try again. Merry Christmas. Yes, and? And a Happy Merry Christmas. Oh, well, happy Merry Christmas to you, too, Carl. And That's what the English say. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Now, Carl, listen, from your last name, I know you're Jewish, so I just want to also wish yeah. you a Merry Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, as a Jew on Christmas, I hate it, but I do know that uh, people hate Christmas Day. And one of the things we've been doing on our show, this is our fifth annual Christmas Day movie celebration, where we celebrate the movies that get released theatrically on Christmas Day. What type of films get released on Christmas Day, you say? Ooh, prestige films, Vanity Project, Oscar hopefuls, and a lot of shit that people are just going to go get the fuck away from everybody and see. Right? Yeah. Halfway right. Well, you know, you want to go. We uh, we did this, uh, when I, my first year, uh, our show landed on December 25th, and we got my good friend Ira, and yeah. we went through a bunch of trailers of movies that were released on Christmas Day. A lot of them are dogs, and we'll, Carl, we'll reminisce on some of the most infamous, worst Christmas Day releases. The, the doggiest. The dog, oh, of the doggies. This is like a wolf that goes in the Leonard Walton died. And uh, that joke was woof. That joke was woof. Oh, it was definitely bark. That didn't work. Let me try again. Oh, that was definitely Howl. Oh, shit. I'm on my dog plunger, not on game. We, uh, speaking of not on game, that gosh darn uh, pandemic of ours kind of mucked up affairs. So now we're not really going out for Christmas. We're just staying in and seeing what's on Amazon. Yeah. So the spirit of our show still remains. 
We normally do our show through the studios here at mutinyradio.fm, uh, but as you can tell from the very low quality of my slow, uh, quiet voice, uh, we are we are recording this in quarantine, and so we're taking a different approach this year. Uh, every every Christmas around the, our show, close to Christmas, we play trailers for movies coming out on Christmas Day. We thought we would take a different approach because people are going to see movies on Christmas Day because they're stuck at home anyway, right? right. Maybe you go to the theater. These films will be released wide release and hopefully will be out of the purple come Christmas Day. Uh, so we, uh, Corona style, have created a Zoom meeting where we, Carl, yes, myself, and all of our comedy buddies have reenacted movie trailers. And uh, later in the show, you'll get to hear some movie trailers that Carl painstakingly, painstakingly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. edited to match the actual trailer that's on YouTube. So you can watch, let us watch a full-length movie trailer on YouTube <laughs> and listen to us reenact it. So later in the show, we'll be playing four or five movie trailers that Carl has uh, edited and then syncs up with the trailer. Don't don't say anything, Carl. That absolutely syncs up. Don't. Uh, one got a little bit edited, but don't worry about it. That's, that's in the details. Like a movie trailer comes out before the movie. It doesn't trail anything. But it hitches to the movie like a trailer hitches to a truck. Like it's part of the whole parade of the promotion and yeah. interviews. And Carl, why do they call a preview when they show you the last scene and the last action scene anyway? Right? They spoil it. But they always show you the final battle. You don't need to see a movie because you saw the trailer. Yeah, pick the blind side. Oh, this kid doesn't have a mom. That sucks. Oh, right on. Way to go, Sander Bullock. You got, whoa. Oh, he, yeah, he is a big kid. He should play football. Oh, he is playing football. Oh, the kids are making fun of him. He's feeling sorry for himself. What? What's that, foster mom? I had something about the blind side. All right, I'm taking it back. I'm the hero. And oh, here's the final game. I won. The blind side. Saw that movie, watched yeah, the trailer, and saw that movie. Uh, for your consideration, best trailer. <laughs> yeah, a lot of trailers are skeevy that way. I've actually kind of skipped watching trailers. What's your take on trailers? First off, I don't very you much enjoy them? trailers because I get the DVD, the Netflix DVDs come in the mail, and yeah. you put on the movie that you picked, which could be from whatever year. And then the trailers play, and you go, "Oh, that looks good." You know, it's a good way to, you know, yeah. Keep well, you're adding to the queue. There's a hierarchy on DVD movie trailers. They'll go coming soon to a theater, a real theater, motherfuckers, and they'll be like, "Hey, uh, Rush Hour Four now in theaters," and then they'll be like, "Now playing." No, coming to DVD. And yeah, coming like, soon. Hour to three. DVD. Yeah, it was last week's bomb, and then it'll be like, you know. Available now on DVD. Daryl <laughs> Hannah in Wildflower. Beep beep. <laughs> Road runner. If she catches you, your mom. Road runner. <laughs> so we get. I stopped watching the trailers on DVDs, the ones I got from the library, because again, it spoils these movies, and I would just rather just get straight to the movie, watch the two and a half hour movie, and return the DVD. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are uh, very excited. So. Uh, yeah. Carl, we should 
we're doing a different approach. Our last two uh, shows at the end of the year are slightly different. This week, we're going to be uh, reenacting movie trailers for your musical ears, pleasures, your ear pleasures. I don't know these things. And then next week, this week we're going to be talking about all the movies we saw. So we're we're just taking a breather from watching a full length movie and watch little mini movies. What's your opinion on movies? So you like the movie trailers? Uh, yeah. Do you like going out on Christmas Day? Well, that's my family's routine every year. We go out to the movies and we get Chinese food. Huh? Why don't you fucking rip off somebody else? What have the Jews done for you, Carl, that you got to rip them off? Yeah. Like a good Jew, you get Chinese food. <laughs> you know, one time we were in uh, Arizona on Christmas Day, my family, and we were trying to find a place to eat, and there's a Chinese restaurant. I said, oh, great, they're open. Ha ha. And we walk in, the place is packed. Yeah. And this guy walks in, and he goes, hey, well, how come I can't get a seat? I'm Jewish. And everyone else goes, fuck you, we're all Jews. <laughs> So we wound up at a taqueria on Christmas night. Okay, yeah. well that's well, okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Amazing. So I think it's kind of a different tack this year for movies on Christmas Day because you you make a family thing of it, but I think it's also that you shed other family members because usually you have the entire family at a Christmas gathering, and then when that's over, you can kind of shed it off and go to the movies and, and you know take yeah. out the experience of the other family members gotcha but one of the things we're doing this year because of quarantine is we're including movies that are premiering on the streaming services as you know it's a topsy-turvy world we're living in yeah and definitely the movie industry got affected by this and a lot of movies a lot of big time movies that were supposed to hit the theater in summer like our james bond didn't happen so a lot of these giant corporations are just premiering them on their own streaming services. So we'll be listening to uh, movies that are only playing if you have Disney Plus, only playing if you have Amazon or, or HBO Max. Uh, we'll be covering those movies. Yes, your Wonder Woman. Yes, your Pixar movies. And yes, your Tessa Thompson films. You know, so we'll be covering it all. But I think I should also just let people know that we are part of Mutiny Radio. Uh, our podcast can be found by our acronym, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, as we said up front. But you can always listen to us. We stream first on Internet Radio, mutinyradio.fm. And if you enjoy their quality programming, uh, donate to the station. We could use it. Just go to Venmo and donate some money at Mutiny Radio. Yeah. Thank you, Bam Benjamin. Thank you, Jam Benjamin. It's uh, checks in the mail, Pam. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> Give me a shout out, checks in the mail. Heard checks that in the mail. Oh yeah, what else have you heard? What are the other two lies? Uh, well, uh, one time the feed was down, and all the uh, the podcasts were going mutiny, mutiny, and Pam was like, "Oh, they're still so loyal, even though they." And he goes, "She goes, wait, they're going to mutiny, mutiny, <laughs> mutiny." That no, was the other saying mutiny radio. They're saying mutiny combo radio. Okay, well, I just talked to Carl. And he said, hey, here it is on YouTube. So we can actually do this, and this is great. And we were at 45 minutes. So here we go. We're back with LMF and OIT. See the opera house. He works at a factory, an egg factory. 
It's an egg factory. They use the opera house as an egg factory, and he has his own <laughs> weird apartment where a lot of uh, accidents happen because he is Mr. Accident. Yeah, Mr. Accident. He's clumsy. He's clumsy. Even though he has a, his boss wants to kill him, and his boss's girlfriend is in love with him. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. That boss is uh, the boss who wants to kill him was a great actor. Uh, I, it's not in front of me, but he was all Australia, Australia shows and movies and stuff. But I, he did a great job in that film. Yeah. Oh, he's really funny in it. It's worth watching. I've been dying to see this movie, and I was really excited that it showed up on YouTube. And I the saw dog, it listed the as dog, Audrey the dog. Now you you said Audrey the dog is the same dog from Frasier. No, it's the same dog for from the mask and the sequel. And from Mom and Dad Save the World. Wow, that dog's been a lot of films. Yeah. Of yeah. And listen, I, you know, I was interested. What happened to, uh, you know, you go to the website for this film and it's the same thing from the 90s. Whatever happened to him? So <clears throat> I went snooping around the internet. You know, what did Yahoo Sirius go on to do? I have no idea, but he does live alone. And they took his picture for like the National Enquirer or something. It's Yahoo Serious for the first time in 20 years or whatever. He was wow. with, he had a Jack Russell Terrier dog. He was just walking around. He was huh. it's him. It's him. He's just older. He's just it's his face. It's him. It's just an old man now. He 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 hit American pop culture with a film called uh, Young Einstein in the 80s. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on uh, June 14th, we watched my third favorite movie of the year, Burglar, 1984, Whoopi Goldberg, San Francisco. Film. Not much more I want to say about it other than I really enjoyed it. It's a really yeah. lived in San Francisco. There's some great scenes they use. You know, they use the environment well. And she's funny in it. And, Remember the uh, chase scene and you were criticizing, look, he's uptown. Now he's downtown. Now he's by the bay. She has her motorcycle by a footbridge in Petro Hill and turns around, and she's by the uh, Full House Park, you know, it's which crazy. is. But they don't use Alamo Square. They use the elevated uh, sidewalk so she could drive her motorcycle up while being chased by John Goodman. It's really well done. Like, it's, they use, at the end, there's a, a big fight out in Stern Grove. It's They use the scene well. And she plays, you know, a burglar who was in the wrong place in the wrong time, and she used her wacky sidekick, uh, Bobcat Goldway. Bobcat. Yeah, who's great in this movie. Yes. It was, really it was supposed to be Bruce Willis, and he said, no way. And so the sidekick became the hero, and the sidekick got a new hero, a sidekick, you know, and yeah. she's great in it. She does a really well job. I, I definitely like, and it's on YouTube, so it makes me happy. I have a Wait, don't wrap up. What about Police Academy guy? G.W. Bailey, who was in Mannequin during that time, he yeah. had other roles in MASH and Police Academy. He's, of course, the adversary sergeant in the Police Academy. Uh, Thaddeus Harris, Ca Lieutenant Captain Thaddeus Harris. But he, he's really, he, in films like Burglar, he gets to kind of cut loose a little. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of is like a cop who's on Burglar's uh, bad side. But Kind of like the last Boy Scouts at the end, they become uh, uh, partners. And they, and they Susan tease each Sarandon, other. Susan Sarandon was in this film. Yeah. Well, you know, her bookstore, Whoopi Goldberg's bookstore, is like a actual shop in Haight yeah. Ashbury. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's kind of cool. Like, I like how they use uh, San Francisco. And I like uh, and the bars. They were in the bars, too. Do you remember? They go into the bar, and WKRP in Cincinnati is on the screen. And that's what this director also did, you know? Yeah. It's a smart little film. 
Don't leave. Don't leave. You love the monkeys. A monkey showed up in this film. Oh, uh, Mickey Dolenz? No. No, it's uh, the taxi driver for Bobcat. It was Michael Nesmith. Remember, he's like, where are you going, bud? He's like, take me home. He goes, where's home? He goes, uh, you know, it's got a mailbox and stuff. Just drive around a little while. I'll find it. <laughs> I didn't realize that was Michael Nesmith. Yeah, it's a... Uh... You know, the, you know, another story is that this is based on a series of novels, and yes. the, the author was like, I can't believe you have Whoopi Goldberg playing my male. My male, yeah. Yeah, but good for him. He got a good movie out of it. And, no, but uh, she said in an interview, all we did to switch the genders is in the script, we just removed the sex. Yeah, yeah, she did a great job. John Goodman, just... John Goodman. Yeah, I know, like, it's like the Revenge of the Nerds, young John Goodman. Like, right. You know, he, he Seriously, not kidding. You see him in Revenge of the Nerds, like do all his films in order and you see him balloon. He never had a downtime or a change. He just grew. Well, one thing, yeah, but you, it's going to take you about 16 days because the guy's been doing 24 you know, movies. For the last <laughs> yeah, that's years. right. That's right. Yeah. You, also, the, that woman from Arthur was in it and DeSalvo. And I don't know. It was a lot of fun. It was good. It, it was, was good. Uh, the, the director of Blast from the Past. It was fun. All right. We're going to move on. And uh, on uh, June 21st, we watched Little Miss Marker, our second Mar uh, Walter Matthau movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also from 1980, like Hopscotch. So this, this was a whoop, uh, whoopee. This was a Shirley Temple remake. Yeah, I bet you we watched it because of Hopscotch. I bet you that's... That's exactly the reason. Like, yeah. Hopscotch was such a good movie, and we were so proud of ourselves when we watched a good movie. And then when I found out that Walter Matthau made another movie that year, and that's yeah. also on YouTube. And on YouTube, that's the thing. Yeah. And Great it was basically, film. guy makes a bet, and he bet his little girl on it as a marker, and right. he loses the bet. Oh, yeah. And the bookie has the girl. And then bookie meets, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Mary Poppins, yeah. Julie yeah, Andrews. Mary Right. Who has a horse farm and little girls love horse farms and things yeah. warm up at the end, you know. And it has, of course, as Carl will always say, a very wasted Daniel, uh, Brian yeah. Dennehy, completely like not drunk, just doing wasted, absolutely nothing. Wasted talents. Yeah, he just stood around like a lug. Yeah, he's just standing there and they're all wearing 1930s clothing and all the magazines are accurate from the yeah, air. They were, they were. They spent 15. They spent $2,500 to acquire original 1930s era magazines that they put in the newsstand. There was one Vogue or something that didn't fit. The music was Henry Mancini. Yeah, it, it's a sappy little film, but, it, 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 you know. Bob Newhart, it's good. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I know that Bob Hope, I think, did a remake of this, of the Shirley Temple movie. Uh, well, just... they, yeah, this was done uh, like six times or something. One of them, uh, also, Tony Curtis, who was in this, was Sourful Jones in one of them. Look, huh. they, they auditioned uh, thousands of girls for this around, you know, Dallas, Texas, Chicago, uh, New York. And they, she was selected. Eight, nine of them went to Los Angeles, and she got the part. And she had never acted. And then she walked away from. She had. Ne she'll never be in anything ever again. This was her only film. Good parenting. Right. Good parenting. Yeah. Good parenting. 
And she's very reserved in the movie. She must say like 12 words at most. There it is. Yeah. She's just called the kid. What about your birthday connection? Oh, uh, I share the same birthday as Walter Matthau. Mm hmm. And Julie. Well, we were both born 100 years ago. I mean, I share the same year, birth year as well. Andrews. Oh, Angelie Andrews, right. They have share the same birthday as me. That's now, there's a right. woman who you like a lot named Lee Grant, who was the judge in this film. She was born on Halloween, October 31, so it's close. Yeah, oh, I got you. Well, October babies are good, even though she's a scorpion. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep this going because we're talking about astrology. On June 28th, if you keep checking our archive, that is the taking of Pelham 123 from 1998. Right. Not the Walter Matthau film. Now, is there a connection there? Did we... Subconsciously? Yeah, go from Walter Matthau to Walter Matthau, but we did that, Walter so... And this is not the Denzel film either. This was a television film. Yeah, and it, it has uh, Edie Falco from, uh, right? From Soprano? Uh, uh, no. Lorraine Bracco. Lorraine Bracco from The Sopranos, excuse me. Right. Uh, and it, uh, it also had like Vincent uh, Coffio. Uh, right, it had Gomer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket. It, no, it was star-studded. Uh, Edward James Almost. This one's cool. Right. Donnie Wahlberg, founding member of Bl New Kids on the Block. Donnie Wahlberg, founding members of New Kid on the Block. Uh, about Lorraine Bracco, we learned so much this film. Like she was... She was in Europe, and that's where she was, you know, like, as a fashion model in France in, like, 74. She started doing movies. She didn't even like it. She just did it for the money. She was a disc jockey for Radio Luxembourg. We learned huh. about her. Yeah. Uh, she's good in it. Her and almost, they, they have good chemistry, and there's a lot of scenes where they're just in the same location. You remember Mr. Brown, Mr. Gray, Mr. Blue? Yeah, right, and Donnie is one of them. Yeah. Donnie's a hothead color. You know, he was a hothead. Who did the music? Who did the music? I forget. Stuart Copeland from The Police. Yeah, oh, well, you know what? He probably probably took him 20 minutes to make this, this feature. <laughs> like well, so that was an oddity, and we, we had the opportunity to see it. Now, getting finally to The Jerk 2, on July yeah. 5th, we watched a tele another television movie, a weird reboot sequel retelling of the R-rated comedy The Jerk from 1979. This version is more of a family-friendly, including a musical scene wow. uh, starring that guy from Fridays who is also right. in the rating scene. Yeah, um, Garrett. Mark Garrett. Blankfield. Mark Blan Blankfield was Navin Johnson. He was good. So yeah. they, it's yeah, you know, it's uh, I had seen this one in the uh, on the television set. It's a Maybe. very bad film. It's a stupid film. It starts off the same way as the movie. He leaves his house to start a life, and then he bumps into Burgess Meredith, who's hobos who like to gamble and, and ride uh, trains. Ray Wallstein, Ray, uh, you know, my favorite Martian he bumps into. That's Diesel. Remember Diesel? And it just so happens that Nathan is like a card shark, you know, right. and... I, so they take advantage. Um, the original jerk. This guy had special powers. He would always win at poker, always. And they exploit him. And basically, he meets the girl of his dream, who's going to marry Prince Charming. And oh. the, okay, the guy who co-wrote it. His name is Rocco Urbis. Urbis 
queen. And somehow he's wrapped up with uh, stand-up comedy, especially George Carlin. I think that Paul, um, Paul Brumbaugh knows him personally through social media. And I think right. he might have interviewed him on the edge of insanity even. Right, which is our roundabout way of saying we would love to interview you. Carl would love yeah, to sit that's right. and talk to you about this film. And I want only to know, about the, sure. Steve Martin was the executive producer, right? Was he really yeah. involved? Did they ever see his face? Was he just money? Did he have? I think it just has to be money. He didn't. I mean, he must have went okay, and then they said, "Okay, we'll give you executive producer." Okay. Well, like, how did Rocco get guidance to write this thing? Like, Maven can do magic and. You know, did he know that uh, Martin Mull was going to be it in Jimmy Walker? Was that an add-on thing? You know what I mean? Like, I have questions. I think this it was guy a, directed it was, uh, Cooley High and Crush Groove and Car Wash. He was yeah, all great films. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think this was a TV pilot. They were going to make a TV show of The Jerk and then oh. said they were do a movie. Remember, Maven had magic powers with animals. Like, fierce yeah. dogs would run up to him, and he'd go, oh, what? So he'd be pet him. And he could do magic tricks. It was weird. I want to interview this guy. Uh, on July 12th, we watched The Marsh Brothers in a lesser-known film of theirs, A Night in Casablanca. This, yeah. is their, this was their last film. They weren't going to make it, except Chico had run up gambling debts, and he was in dire straits and trouble. And he said, please, guys, please. And they said, okay. And they made a film. Look, this is a Marx Brothers film. They do all the gags. He plays the harp. He, everything the way, you know, there will be up. There's piano numbers. Yeah. The plot of this movie is that, first off, it, it takes place during the war, I think, or post-war. So the, the oh, movie plus, uh, During the war. Yeah, was, so the movie Casablanca yeah. hangs heavy in this film, but only that it's the same location and wartime. But well, they, they try uh, to stir up controversy with a fake lawsuit. They, they spread right. on their own, Groucho spread the rumor that they Casablanca was trying to sue them. Harpo didn't wear a wig in this. It was the only time he ever didn't wear a wig. They curled his hair up. I love that like Chico would be walking down this nightclub and the nightclub is a performance and there's dueling pianos and the guy's like, hey, Chico, do you mind sitting down? Yeah. Would you I was just going to walk across the room. <laughs> and they do, yeah. um, they roll out the barrel. We'll have a barrel of fun, and he does all that stuff where he like hits the high note with his pointer finger, and oh, that's like classic. Yeah, yeah. Who's sorry it, it was now? Worth that it. was the big hit from this. Remember that song, "Who's Sorry Now"? Harpo was offered fifty grand, which I guess was like a half million dollars then, uh, to, if he would just utter a word. The word was going to be murder, and it went with the film's plot, but he refused. He he never spoke until one year before his death. When he was at this concert, he publicly spoke. But good movie. Yeah, all right. So good, moving on, July 19th, if you check out 2020, 07, 19, yeah. 0 to 60. Gavin Mc... What's his name? Uh, it was, his name is Father from uh, Christmas Story. It's uh, Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin. But he was also known before Christmas Story yes. as the dad. Uh, he was a regular cad, and um, he, he was uh, night, Kochek the Night Stalker. The, yeah, the Night Stalker, that's right. Yeah, and uh, he just has this kind of snazzy, like, uh, he has a little snap to him, you know. He's yeah. a very stylish little guy who can play the Madison Avenue executives, you know, slump. 
And this film is more slumpy than Madison yeah, Avenue. He's, much more. He's a bum in this one. He gets divorced. The guy from Laugh-In is his lawyer. He gets the pantsuit off of him in divorce, and he's got no money. He's got no car, nowhere to live. Right. And we also know of a young uh, teenage girl who's also in trouble, but they both get jobs working together as repo men. Right. And they steal cars throughout Los Angeles. And they take them and they go from zero miles per hour to 60. To 60. Yeah. Now, she was uh, the girl in Violet Beauregard, is that it? In uh, Willy Wonka. She turned into the big blueberry. Right. Oh, yeah. So she, she had her chops. She had a history, you know. So Denise it was Coach Nickerson. Here it is. Denise Nickerson. In the film, her name is Larry. Yeah, she lived in like an RV and she tried yeah. a couple times to pull a number on him, like, you know, seduce him, but he was like, no way, you know. And he was a good father figure to her, I guess. Like, he. Uh, well, in the end, he gave her all that money from the insurance policy and told her that she, you know, he loves her. And then she freaked out. Remember, you love me, you love me. It was a father daughter adoption movie. A Joan yeah. Collins, Joan Collins. Yeah, Joe Collins is good in this movie. She's kind of the uh, evil Joe Collins in this movie. Yeah, that's right. She was a seductress, and she was owed a lot of people a lot of money, and she was always... Uh, and the guy from Godfather was in it, uh, uh, Vito Sco Scotty. Vito Scotty. I don't know. And the film was fun. It was okay. I would, you know... Sure. But on July 26, we watched The Prisoner of Zenda, yeah. which is one of the last two movies uh, Peter uh, Sellers had. Right. And it's charming in this respect. He plays two different people and three, uh, three different people. Yeah. Uh, but it's not very good. Do you remember the guy who was um, uh, on Barney Miller and he was the neighbor yes. on Fred Sanford? He was really uh, great. When, when he gets in his parts, you're laughing at his mannerisms and behavior. He was really good. Uh, so yeah. you're laughing at Peter Sellers, and then this guy's supporting him. It was really good. Now, he fought with the director, Peter Sellers, so bad. He, he didn't like the color of the train. They had to repaint it blue, uh, or crazy. Peter was not going to do the scene. That's crazy. You know, I'm, you know, I've mistaken this movie. This is the reason why I have nothing really to say. I thought this was a famous plot of Fu Manchu. I don't know oh. what, why my brain said pick this, but they both kind of came out at the same time. And the other films, yeah, yeah, 1980. And the director, even though they fought, he got hired to do Fu Manchu. He would fight terribly with his wife Lynn Frederick, and we learned all about. Uh, Lynn Frederick, you were a bit of a fan for her, like you were cheering, you know, like she was cool, but nobody yeah. liked her. Uh, nobody ever had a good thing to say about her. It's in the memoirs, you know. Uh, she was the last widow of of Peter Sellers, and she died real early. She died, and, and when the 67th Academy Awards had a in memoriam thing, she wasn't included, even though it was her year. You're going to watch every Peter Sellers movie, so you might as well watch this one. <laughs> Otherwise, skip it. On August 2nd, we watched Ski Party from 1965. Yeah, now, there's a movie. With Annette Funicello and, and Frankie Avalon. She doesn't appear in the entirety of this movie, right? No, she's, no. She's, she's a professor at the beginning, and she, like, winks at you for sex. You know, she's, like, talking about males reach their sexual peak at 18, and then women at 30. 
35 or 38. And that guy's right. like, we need to meet some 38-year-old broads. And the, then you see her at the movie on a date with one of the students. They, uh, they're, they're known from their surf movies, their surf mm-hmm. parties. This film says, why don't we take this and go to the slopes? Right. It was, it was exactly that film. Do you remember the bear on skis? Yeah, oh yeah, they had a guy in a bear suit <laughs> skiing down a hill. Just that kind of movie. Yeah, you'd be watching a scene and he would slide through and he'd become part of the action. James Brown was well, in me, it. Yeah, I was going to say, James Brown, like they're in the ski lounge and they're just hanging out and James Brown shows up with his band and they perform yep. and he leaves. And they perform uh, I Feel Good. No, you don't really expect it, but it happens. Well, there's also um, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. She's in it. Doesn't she sing a song when they're on a tour bus? Yes, exactly. It's like lollipops and lovely lollipops and rainbows and unicorns. Oh, man. Yeah, it was Frankie Avalon. I forget who his little partner in crime was. Yeah, right. Um, They dress in drag. Yeah, they did, and and they were absolutely biting off of that Some Like It Hot movie, and they had no apologies about that. No, that was the story of this movie. Uh, on August 9th, we watched Elvis Presley in the second movie he did yeah. called Loving You from 19, 1957. You know, it kind of was his first film, because the other one, he had a kind of bit part and a, you know what I mean, like it was his first, like, Elvis movie. It wasn't... Yeah wasn't playing he wasn't an actor well it's interesting because you would say this is a story about a young elvis presley but i feel like it's a story about the young colonel tom parker Uh because it focuses more on the manager and how she be able to see talent in this guy and take him you know beyond new heights while juggling her boyfriend who's this kind of washed up uh classical pianist you know this guy's doomed to be playing like country music drank a lot on screen yeah. And then he was a drunk in real life. Oh, Wendell Corey. Wendell, Wendell Corey, the real life drunk. Right. Yeah. And he was a drunk in the film, but it wasn't so terrible. He pulls out a bottle at a, like, she goes, what do you have? It was a glass. And he pulls out a flask. You remember, you remember the fight scene in the, over the jukebox? Oh, I love that scene. That's where Elvis does a musical number to, like, he on an instrumental track off the jukebox, and everyone in the uh, diner is just clapping along. And then, yeah, it ends with a yeah. fight. They're blown away, but the jealous guy, Dak, the guy, he falls down. Yeah, no hero, hero of the beach. Yeah, you know it's interesting because Colonel Tom Parker kind of ripped off this military guy's name. And in this movie, Elvis reveals that his name is actually named off of this guy he met at an orphanage. And he, he tells him over the gravestone of the, the, the cemetery of the, where the guy is buried. Yeah. But, you know, at the end, Elvis performs in front of this live audience and he is raw. You know, he's shaking that pelvis and he's going yeah. around to everybody. In the his mom audience. is in the crowd. His mom is in the crowd. Yeah, which is why he never watched this movie, because his mom was in it. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't bear to be, I don't know. I think that's immature, but I'm not Elvis. The thing is, it was a good film. He should have watched it again. It wasn't a, for what it was, it was a good film, especially if it was like Elvis's only, you know? Right. Uh, but um, but it wasn't, of course. You know, like Madonna did a film in which she was Madonna. She's also been an actress, but Elvis always did a film in which he was Elvis. And this was yeah, what he, launched it. 
and Reservoir Dogs when they say, come on, Ramblers, let's go rambling. It comes from this movie, Loving You, because there's a band called The, Ram- the Ramblers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's, it's solid. Uh, yeah, because Elvis movies got worse. And this one is like one of the few movies where you can actually watch it and enjoy it. Yeah. On August 16th, we watched Cyborg 2087, which came out in 1966. And this also had uh, the same actor from Loving You, the, the our human drunk, as we keep referring to him. But basically, a cyborg comes from the future to kill off John Connor. It is. It does have uh, hints at Terminator, but it's really not exactly the same story at all. You know, from a guy comes from the future and he has a mission. That's about as far as it goes. Who, yeah. What was the name of the guy who had a lawsuit against Terminator in one? And he was the science, the science fiction writer Harlan Ellison. Right, with the Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode, right? And they had to put a credit in the end of Terminator saying, we acknowledge Harlan Ellison. Right, and the director, what's his name, who should have never divorced that nice Linda, he disagreed with that decision. He wasn't a part of it at all. They did it not behind his back. It was just handled by legal years later. And he doesn't, he would have fought that. Right, he would have absolutely fought that. So this movie, one of the nice things is that when they show you what the year 2087 looks like, it looks like a fantastic uh, matte illustration <laughs> of, like, Jetson floating city. Yeah. And it's exactly. really fucking cool. Yeah, and it's uh, the picture on the – and it should have been the picture on, on the magazine in the final thing, but they didn't do that. Uh, but it has three yeah. Star Trek connections. That's massive, three Star Trek connections. Do you want to name them, or should we just... Yeah, do you remember she, uh, the doctor, Sharon Mason, who he, like, puts the whammy jammy on? She was in Star Trek in the original episode. I don't know. I won't go into it, but there's three others. But there was this cool guy named Chubby Johnson. Remember Uncle Pete? Do you remember how everybody in this movie had guns? Like, no matter what, just regular people, they would pull out a gun. Well, it's you know it's good they were prepared to they were they knew a cyborg from the future might show up so they uh, now this guy I'm going to tear our... the day the earth stood still no. so that's that's a headline all right we can skip this movie oh yeah all right this movie sucked I oh, enjoyed it of sucked we watched back to back we watched the sequel and then we watched the original yeah. we, on August twenty third we watched Munchie from nineteen eighty four nineteen ninety two. And then on August 30th, we watched the original sequel, Munchies, which was, of course, from 87. So Munchie, the first one we watched on August 23rd, is a kid's film. While the other one on the 30th, Munchies, is not a kid's film. Not a kid's film, no. And they're both Roger Corman. Yeah, Roger Corman was making, like, money hand off a fist off his uh, video cassette, direct-to-video, that... uh, he had a, a film from 1987 we watched that had Harvey Corman in it. This is when we yeah. watched it on August 30th. And it's basically gremlins, but these gremlins, they they wear, I don't know, like leather coats and they, they curse a bit and they cause havoc. The director was Tina Hirsch, who was the film editor for Gremlins. And she had done, edited three films for Corman and she wanted to direct and she told him, and she goes, what? He was like trying to rip off Gremlins. So he's like, all right, you're a good fit. That'll be Buzz. And it made her the director. She did a good job. I mean, it's well-directed. It kind of has a, it's funny at times. 
the, for me, it's the movie poster that I'll remember, which is a gremlin, okay. uh, a munchie, holding on, a, looking up uh, a dress uh, a of this woman. We just see her body parts. We see her, her shapely legs, and we see uh, up her dress. But not only is he drinking a Budweiser beer, which you see the logo, the woman has, like, a smell. Like, there's, they actually do in the poster. Like a scent coming out of her dress that the grim, that the munchie was like smelling. Yeah. Whoa, that's some mmm, that yum. Yeah. What about um Paul Bartel? Yeah, Paul Bartel shows up in this movie. He's good in it. It's it's a film with Paul. I mean, Harvey Corbin's funny in it. There's yeah. there's the his his girlfriend is funny in it. He's funnier the uh, the sleazy Harvey Cart. Uh, uh, Corman. Corman. Harvey Corman is funnier and yeah his wife is hilarious and do you remember the little old lady in um, singing Rapper's Delight and the Wedding Singer she was in yeah. it um, yeah I mean it's not a bad film and like it, it's a good time killer but you know and the, the poster has nothing really to do with the movie so it's it's an enjoyable film we should mention that you know, the previous week we had watched Munchie from 1992, a direct, direct to video kids' fantasy about a magical being being unearthed. His name yeah. is Munchie, voiced by Dom DeLuise. Wow. Yeah, and he's he's basically a hand puppet, and he can has any power. So he can bring pizza, he can have a party in your house, uh, which he loves the party. He makes a friend in the young boy, and then he decides he's going to make the young boy's life great, and he starts playing pranks and tries, you know, messes with the kid's life in a positive way. Because since his mom is Lonnie Anderson and she's dating this creep. Yeah. And Munchie will have none of this. Yeah. And there's Artie Johnson. And yeah, he's the neighbor. Do you remember the principal of the school was having an affair with the uh, secretary and it was Monique Gabriel, the one from Rosebud Beach Hotel, the one from Bachelor Party? Yeah, he would have an affair by like she would be like unbuttoned in the uh, principal's office. Yeah, yeah. People would walk in. It's really yeah. He was a player, I guess. That principal. Buck Flower was in this one, uh, of course, as a bum. You yeah, know, right. Back to the Future. He always played the bum on the park bench. George the Buck Flower. Yeah. Headlined Jennifer Love oh, Hewitt. Jennifer that's Love right, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I knew it was somebody who. Uh, First film. Yeah, she was a neighbor. Like he was, she was a love interest, and uh, she got to party with Munchie, and she she likes Munchie, and she likes the boy. And uh, Munchie invited her to the party. He just dials her up with all his balls, puts on that guy's voice, and goes, "I'm having a party. Come over. Okay, bye. Love you." Yeah, she's kind of cute. She wears like a kind of she dresses like Blossom, I guess. Uh, getting away from the Munchie trilogy on September sixth. We watched Killdozer. TV right, movie. and why did we watch it? Oh, because you hated the fact that I had made you watch two out of three munchies. <laughs> uh, I had a I had a uh, take over your role, and I did a lousy job researching. We did the old switcheroo, and we forgot to mention throughout the whole Elvis discussion that that was a switcheroo and a really good one. You did your research. Well, you know, yeah, I had done my research on Elvis, but I dropped the ball on Killdozer. <laughs> it's your typical story. There's an island out in the Pacific, and these guys are 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 dozing it to build a air, oil airstrip. Company. But there was an alien who was like sentient in a rock 
and they hit the rock and the alien got pissed off. So the alien decides to transfer to the driver and the actual uh, bulldozer. bulldozer. The, the human can't take the alien and he dies, but the bulldozer becomes a sentient and becomes a killdozer and proceeds to run over everybody. Right, exactly. And we see the asteroid in space at the beginning of the movie and it crash land and glowed blue and just killdozed this kill this bulldozer. Yeah, well, you know, once he hops into this uh, body of the bu uh, bulldozer and becomes killdozer, uh, he he goes off. So these these resourceful men have to like set up traps and try to out trick the the killdozer. And it had this really cool soundtrack, which just sounded like you know someone sitting on a synthesizer by mistake, like just <laughs> thinking it was a chair. And it was interesting how like they had all served in the war, and there was like let's go swimming. There's some weird stuff in there with their uh, their their story. Yeah, I don't drink anymore and. You know. Yeah, because they don't really talk. I mean, it's this movie is stripped down to its basics. It's basically a killer, you know, killdozer versus humans. Remember, he mowed down their camp. Yeah, the killdozer is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Oh, he took that radio out. He was sentient. He knew it was yeah. Normal. Yeah. Well, you know who wasn't sentient was uh, Robert Urich, who uh -huh. he got a blast of alien, but the alien and him were incompatible, and he died. He got French fried. S September 13th, we watched Johnny Toe's movie from 1980s, the 90s, called The Mission. The Mission, 1999. I, what is it? It's good. I, I don't know. I enjoyed this film. The Mission is a bunch of uh, bodyguards are protecting this uh, gang leader. And it's most notable for an amazing shootout in a Hong Kong mall where they're going down escalators and it's like the middle of the night. And uh, no pedestrians. So it's basically them hanging out, waiting for something to happen, and it does. Johnny yeah. Toe's made a lot of movies. Ten of them are on Netflix. I watch all of them. They're great. He's made over 100 films as a director, and he jumps different styles. But this one really connected uh, to American audiences. Because he's always now known as, like, the master of gangster movies. But he's done a lot of romantic comedies. He's done, right. like, Cannon and Mouse, uh, espionage thrillers he's done a lot of different kind of films so yeah, in the west he only has known for that slice of mobster films and uh but in his you know hong kong he's done them all yeah he's done them all september 20th we watched dear god we watched paulie shore is dead directed right. by paulie shore right now this film uh you know wasn't i don't know this was the highest ratings of of any paulie shore uh a movie or venture or TV project or something. I mean, of course, he had his fame in MTV, and for like six to eight to ten months, he was just on the top of the world. But all of his this this film is the highest rated of all his films. Do you think you have to know all that to appreciate Paulie Shore's dead? Do you think you yeah. can walk in not knowing who Paulie Shore was? No, maybe I don't know. I don't think so. I think you really got to know the weasel. You've got to know. <laughs> I really think you got to know the weasel. You got to know who Mitzi Shore is. Uh, no, Paulie Shore. Story. Yeah, I mean, he his his show business family. His uh, parents ran the comedy store. His mom ran it. His father was a noted comedian, and yeah. 
he became like a young face on MTV, he had catchphrases, and then he hit a series of movies, uh, which, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg gave this golden moment, but unlike Whoopi Goldberg, it, it ended quickly. Yeah. And uh, well, by the time he made this- the TV show, the Fox sitcom. Which shows up in this movie. They watched the premiere and it sucks. Right. So that show had like, they only made five of them and only three of them are aired or something like that. But basically that was the end of his career. I mean, it was 1997 that basically he went away. You know, he didn't have any career. And this calls back to it, calls back to Sam Kinison. It calls back to everything and makes him fake his death just so he'll get famous again. And it works, but of course he can't enjoy that fame. You know, he enjoys it from afar, reading a magazine, watching a TV show. Uh, right. And then he's going to get outed. You know, I don't know. It was fun. A lot of cameos. And in 2003, there was like a huge DVD market. So his film was able to hit out there and try to try to reach people. I think the guy, like, really loves himself. Like, he really, like, it's, there's a lot of stuff. No, I think he has, he's a kinky dude. So, I don't know. It, it shows up in his film. It's all right. What, remember no. when, um, um, Dodgeball. Yeah, so the, the DVD market, we you go buy new releases, and on the Dodgeball DVD, they had an exclusive uh, trailer, which is on YouTube, where he's getting pelted by dodgeballs, Polly Shore, while he tells there's a new movie out. Right. Yeah. Now, All right, I'm, I'm going to keep for sure. Polly Shore is a narcissist, a hundred percent a narcissist. You know. Yeah. And he doesn't apologize for that in this film. You know, no, he, it stands out in this film. It's noticeable. Like I'm not just being a jerk. Like um, he is very honest about his failure. You know what I mean? He's brutally mean to himself. Now a lot of years have passed since '97 and 2003. Well, not really. So moving on from Paulie Shore, yeah. uh, September 27th, we watched Bud Court in Brain Dead. Right, Bill the real Bud Court. Yeah. And it was also Pillman, uh, Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton were in the same movie. So that was fun. Yeah, that was. And Bill Paxton was doing that swarmy, trying to trick you character he likes to do. It was good. Come on, bud. Yeah, right. Well, it's basically about a uh, corporation that, that has uh, medical practices, including playing with people's brains, exposed brains. And Bud Court gets to do that. But it's a terrible film. Well, but the thing is, it, it strays away in the middle of the film from Bill Pullman being our, our you know, no, the no, the person we know him as. And suddenly we find out he's insane. He's been insane. He's actually in a hospital. And that's yes. when the film just walks you through a dream. Now, you said that the script was sitting on, like, Roger Corman's desk for 30 years? 23, 23 years. This guy wrote the original Twilight Zone. I mean, he was a staff writer is what I mean. They had trouble uh, photocopying it because the paper was, it was found on like a onion skin kind of paper, you know, like pre-Xerox or whatever. And they had to like make a photocopy of it just so they have something to touch. Let's go straight into so the following week on August, on October 4th, we did watch the director's uh, follow-up to Brain Dead. In 1993, he did Carnosaur, which uh, Roger Corman uncannily released the same weekend as Jurassic Park in theaters. Yeah. Actually on saw... purpose. And he was yeah. unashamed about it in the media. You know, he, 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 on the 
advertising for it. He's like, you like Jurassic Park? This one, too. This is another one. And it's basically Diane Lab, uh, Diane Lab in her lab creates a dinosaur and that's a killer carnosaur, which has been killing people throughout this movie. But the way she gets more carnosaurs is by poisoning pregnant women to make them pregnant with these carnosaurs. Yeah, the virus got out there. Everyone caught the virus and that would make uh, the, the men die or something, but it would make all the women pregnant with dinosaurs. And Diane Ladd gleefully gives birth by having her stomach rupture from a little baby carnosaur. She loved it. She loved it. She spent five days only filming this film and that must have her highlight. She is the mother of Laura Dern who's in Jurassic Park. I mean, this movie was a coup. It's terrible. It's such a depressing film. And Clint Howard, our Star Trek connection is in it. And Jennifer Runyon, who was in Ghostbusters, uh, this was her final film. It was loosely based on this book called Carnosaur, uh, published in 1984. They totally changed the film. They made it down to one dinosaur. Um, In the end, he had Carnosaur 1, 2, and 3, and then two spinoffs, Raptor and the Eden Formula. Adam Simon. And uh, you had mentioned a great story about he got dissed by Robert Altman. In that movie, The Player, uh, they have that line, uh, who let Adam Simon on the lot? <laughs> uh, October 11th, we had a nice break. We watched a TV pilot called The Castaways on Gilligan's Island and basically got rescued and then decided to turn the island into a resort. And every week, new people show up, a la Fantasy Island or Love Boat. Right. And they have different situations. Tom Bosley from TV's yeah. Happy Days and Maria Wallace from TV's The Simpsons. So they, he's a workaholic. She takes him to a recluded island. He just finds the phone hidden in their exactly. lobby. Funny scene. The only yeah. funny scene. She, he outwits Gilligan, who works in the island. <laughs> Remember I made you play that? I think there was like, uh, this film was long and not funny. It was just Gilligan's Island TV show. But I made you play like three or four of the funny bits. It gives yes. the impression that it was a good film. There was a, there was a laugh track on that too, wasn't there? Yep, there was a laugh track throughout the whole thing. <sighs> All right, well, I liked it. I Thumbs up for me on Gilligan's, the castaways on Gilligan's Island. Carl hates it. I do. Look, it was done by the same guy who made Brady Bunch. Listen, this thing was a TV show, and Gilligan's Island wasn't funny. You Expect more of the same. On uh, October 18th, that's a movie called Greaser's Palace from the right. 70s, directed by Robert Downey Sr. Actually, Robert Downey Jr. appears in it. Oh, yeah, he gets killed in this, and the mom grieves, and then the mom gets tortured, and the mom has nothing to do with the storyline. The right. mom just he shows up every Yeah. It's basically Greaser is a name, and he has this palace, and it has, like, I don't know, horrors, and has singing, and all of the bad guys like to hang out. There's a toilet that that Greaser has that hangs off a cliff, and all of a sudden, a guy in a zoot suit uh, comes down, and a very interesting actor, right, who had had a... Alan Arbus was a very, oh, first of all, he was the doctor on MASH. That's probably how people know him. He was a very uh, successful photographer in New York. They would set up and do f- 
fashion magazine shoots and they would shoot for commercials and stuff. It was a very lucrative business and it was hard to get into. He was extremely successful. He was married to this woman. He divorced her, left that completely successful thing and went out to California with LA with no connections, no connections. This was his first film and got even more success. I mean, he, he did go on to be a good, good actor. And Yeah, he, he kind of falls from the sky. He's in a zoot suit. It's the Wild West. Nothing wrong with this film. This film was bad, and he wasn't good in it. Remember, he was the singer. He was like, I want to be famous in Jerusalem. Yeah, and right. His ragtime song that was so sucky. We didn't, we didn't know where this film was going, and uh, Carl had watched it several times, and he still didn't know. And again, there was this recurring story, concurrent story about a woman facing hardships as her kid gets killed and guys try to kill her and it didn't make much sense killed by the father multiple times and look on paper it's a funny fun film i mean don kalfka's in it kalfa with the fishbowl space helmet and herbie villachez is in it and oh mickey you're so fine you're so fine you blow my mind she's in it the choreographer tony basil yeah it's a rare Robert Downey you've seen your film on YouTube, so thumbs up on that. We had a really fun time with my brother uh, on October 25th. Adam Spiegelman was started appeared in one of these two movies. We watched after-school specials that were shot in our hometown of Montclair, New Jersey, and aired on CBS yeah. uh, during the uh, 1980s. One from '83, uh, which is Revenge of the Nerd, bullies the Battle of the Bullies. And then from 87, What If I'm Gay, where my brother uh, He's in it. He, he pushes a guy in the hallway. Adam Father. It was really good. He was well, well acted. acted. Well yeah. acted. So, a lot of memories on these two. A lot of like, uh, I, we pointed out some high school friends that were in these films. Well, like I mean, Taylor. it revolves around the high school, right? I mean, yeah, sure, it was in all of Montclair, but it. it the high school was what it was all about. You guys would go to school and you'd see all the filming and everything. Yeah, well, you were around for the 83 and I was definitely around for the 87 one. So they did some casting and they did some shots and then we, we got to watch it on TV. What I about wanna... Gabriel Cart, what, you know, 90120? Right, you no, know, one of the actors has hair and then he had a, a public... Uh, uh admission that he lost his hair during the cancer scare and uh, well that's evan handler yeah who people probably know from uh sex in the city okay so that's the what if i'm gay one and and it was right. well done because in the beginning we think it's that character the alan the evan handler character and then the director switches it up from us and it's the most jockey guy yeah the most jockey guy it might be gay it's a wonders what if i'm gay Ed Marino um, and, is in it too. <laughs> Officer Coffee from Hill Street Blues says, "You know what? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it." <laughs> and uh, it was, they said in the bleachers of the uh, high school, "Yeah, our high school's in it." I don't know. I I, I think that people would be better served listening to our episode uh, and being enthralled like there. Okay. All right, uh, all right. November first, we uh, all right. November first, we had the, the honor to watch 1981's Cannibal Run. One of your favorites. I can't believe this movie is on YouTube. It's such yeah. a blockbuster. 
it's it was a block it was a maybe it was a critical failure but it absolutely was 100% successful and spurned uh, uh sequels we, we we've got Roger Moore in this and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr and Jackie well, Chan Jackie Chan Jackie Lots Chan to talk about here but how, it was how a real life thing you know yeah the real life thing and the real life participants show up as actors and how Needham is always known. He wrote a memoir talking about being a stuntman, but he directed like he had a run of these films with Burt yeah. Reynolds uh, with a lot of car chases. Original races. He was yeah. in the real life races for Car and Driver magazine. Jackie Chan learned from this director that you could put bloopers at the end of your film. It's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, it won. A, it was nominated for a Razzie and didn't win. Farrah Fawcett got nominated, but Mommy no, Dearest they, beat her out. Well, why, not, why not single out like Jerry Reed? There's like Terry Bradshaw in it. There's yeah. uh, oh, Jimmy Jamie the Greek, right? <laughs> Jamie Farr, Jamie uh, Farr, Mel Tillis was with Terry Bradshaw, and he's like a famous country singer, but who has a when he's talking has a stutter. It's a dumb movie, but it's it's so charming that you uh, halfway through you realize how stupid everything is, and that yes. everything is the most part. I don't know. It's fun. It's yeah. so I, and I do recommend if you have an opportunity to see the DVD, find it with the commentary track from the director, Hal Needham. It really adds uh, a layer to, or, or listen to our, our commentary much better. On so November 8th, we finally, we finally sat down and said, let us air an episode we buried during quarantine. Yeah. We watched the movie Sir Billy from 2012. Horrible film. Horrible film. Bummer. It's a doubter. This is a Scottish is. Uh, animated production. This featuring film was only Scottish. Sean Connery. Yes, the one who passed away this year. Yeah. Uh, it's his final film. You know, he's the voice only, but he plays a kindly old veterinarian who uh, has a billy goat. A, a, uh, he's a talking he's, billy goat. He's a Alan comes, Does the voice. It's a billy goat that walks on two legs, wears the Kill Bill jumpsuit, and uh, thinks he's a dog. Yeah, and he makes funny, funny jokes, thinks he's a dog. It's Alan Cumming. So Sir Billy has a grandson, and there's a beaver family that's in peril, and they all go and try to save these beavers while these, these evil guys want to wreck the forest and build a mall. So Sasha and Tessa Hartman is the couple they're Scottish, and they are a husband and wife team, and she wrote this book, Sir Billy. It was a short film and a sizzle reel, and they made it into a movie, and they got Sean Connery to do it, so therefore they got funded, and they kept it all in Scotland religiously, even though they had lots of offers to do things outside of the country, ways that would have made the film successful. Shirley Bassey, who sang... Um, in one of the original James Bond films, does the sings the theme song, and yeah. Academy Award it's, winner Patrick Doyle, who did the music for Harry Potter and Goblet uh, and Sense and Sensibility, he did the score, and he's very Scottish. But another is, musical talent, yeah, is that the couple's couple's daughter is a pop star, is a right. pop singer in Europe. And she's in this, and she sings a number, but she must be 16, 17 when she was in this film. Yeah, that's right. And she, go, you know, this was 2012. She went on to become a pop singer and uh, very successful. Now, the thing is, 
all the best intentions went into the making this film and this is a family with a heart and they made it scottish it just the product sucks everything behind it is great and i'm so sorry that you see they couldn't afford animation software so they made their own so when you see the panoramas <clears throat> and the river it's all beautiful but when you see their the the characters the cartoons they've got these big creepy eyes but it's not just the animation. You can't blame it on the software that all the women have these titties and like uh, bouncy, bouncy behinds. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the design is kind of ugly, like in that respect. But, now remember, we yeah. did this episode with every intention to air it. We just did it like a regular episode, and when we were done, it was a bummer. We both had the feeling like, you know, a downer yeah. feeling. So we even went on your brother's podcast to explain ourselves why we would never air it. November 8th, we aired our our episode, followed by us discussing it on my brother's podcast, and now we have just discussed it again. On November 15th, we watched uh, Vincent Price in Diary of a Madman from 1963, uh, a period piece where uh, a Horlocks is tormenting Horlocks. him. The Horlocks. Yeah. Yeah. The, there were two books written by this guy, uh, a French author. He was like the father of the modern short story. He wrote The Horla and Diary of a Madman. And they stuck those two concepts together and made this film. It's not a bad film. Prison uh, Price is really good in it. It has a lot of, uh, even though it takes place in the 1800s in uh, Paris. Right, in Paris. All the, all the actors are contemporary actors that you would have seen on Bewitched or on Star Trek from the 60s. Three Star and, Trek connections. Yeah. Well, okay, so there were these um, American International Pictures Edgar Allan Poe movies, and that's what they were trying to do here. Which was directed by Roger Corman. And, right. and had Vincent Price in most of them. So Vincent Price shows up again, and he's basically, this demon likes Vincent Price, and he starts hanging out with him. He's an invisible, he's a, he, he's a being, but he's invisible. Yeah, he's and, like a person from another dimension, but you can't see him. But he's real, yeah. he's there. So he fucks with him, and he starts killing off his ladies, and, uh... Like, it's all evil. Like, remember their eyes would glow green? So... Vincent Price is like, I'm gonna put a gun to my head and get away from this fucking demon. And the demon's like, smack, I'm gonna knock your, your gun away. <laughs> you gotta live with me. Hand. Yeah, he's a badass you know he demon. Gets him in the end, he was pretty... He had to kill himself to kill the Horla, and he was willing to do it. November 22nd. Yeah. We watched Donnie Darko on yes. YouTube. Seth Rogen, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Maggie yeah. Gyllenhaal, Seth Rogen. First uh, Seth Rogen's first film. This is uh, Carl did a lot of great research explaining the, how time travel and and how uh, yeah. people become magnets to the like. The they know there's a disruption. The universe. Yeah, they they they. They become actors in a play that will save the real universe from destruction. The thing is, Which is you, you can't really know it. You were saying, Mike, you saw the film and didn't get it, right? Yeah. Me too. Me too. So he goes on. There's a, something called the Book of Time Travel in the book, and it explains everything. So in the director's cut, he does exactly that. He uh, puts in... So, oh, since we couldn't watch the director's cut, I just did it. I just ruined the film by saying, this is the manipulated yeah. head. He's wearing a bunny suit. Basically, Donnie Darko, that's a real kid's name. 
in, a, in this fictional story. It's a fictional story. He, uh, he, has, uh, he goes to the therapist. He has some issues. Uh, his parents still love him. But well, he doesn't get smushed by a jet engine, remember? He yeah, doesn't he was supposed get to smushed. And that was wrong. He was supposed to get smushed. So when he doesn't get smushed, it, it changes. It makes a tangent, an alternative reality time for 28 days. A bubble, if you will. Which the whole world would be destroyed. And uh, at the end of that time period, so he, good old Donnie, and as well as these unwitting uh, participants, right? Help, uh, help. They lead manipulate him. him to get to the one time in which he must save the universe by making the the jet engine fall on himself. Yeah, it's uh, it's well done. I love this movie, and uh, 